Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Going to the Tampa series, like I didn't think I played bad, but I thought I played better maybe in the Tampa series than I did in Nashville. I just, again, it comes back to kind of goals you give up and and there were two goals there that in games one and two that you know they they kind of turned the tide and they, they gave them a lot of momentum especially one was game one obviously is less than 10 minutes left in the period in the third period and it was you know a pretty bad I mean, I'm gonna call it what it is it was a bad goal it was a pretty bad goal um and then in game two you know they get the first one again and Probably not the greatest of goals either. Well, you know, I there was some traffic there, but pucks on the ice and it shot from the blue line like puck, you know, pucks that puck can't go in. Um, and that's the difference. He looks across the ice, the guy that was playing at the other end, like probably the best goalie in the world. Those goals aren't going in on him. You know, he's not giving away freebies to the other team. This is the Canes Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here's the host of the Canes Corner Podcast, Adam Gold. Pretty powerful stuff there from Alex Nedeljkovic. Self-analysis of his performance against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And whether you agree or not, I think it's refreshing to hear Somebody hold himself to account. And really, it's been about what this franchise has been about with Rod Brindamore as the head coach. Holding each other accountable, holding yourself accountable. Uh, I was super impressed with Alex Nedeljkovic and the way he treated his own performance all season long. From his very first start against uh, Columbus uh, all the way through the end of it. Um, I think Carolina is in pretty good shape with goaltending. Uh, we don't know if Ned's going to be a true number one. We really don't. Um, I think they would love it if he developed into that true number one. But at the very least, uh, and it's been posed to me by a front office executive for a different team, at the very least, he is a strong 1B, which means part of a tandem. And I think Carolina would love, uh, obviously love it if he became a one. We'll see what they uh, give him as a restricted free agent with arbitration rights. What kind of a contract is Alex Nedeljkovic going to get? Uh, There will be time to figure all of that out, but it's soon. We're in the middle of July. It's the Canes Corner Podcast. I'm Adam Gold. We're brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. If it's for the exterior of your home, you can find it at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina on Hamlin Road in Durham. No place like it. Go check them out online, aluminumcompany.com. We have a lot planned for you. What you heard from Alex Delkovich there is just a small part of a longer conversation we had uh, when he was getting out of town. Uh, You heard some road noise. He was in the, uh, I guess, in his truck. Uh, but it's, a, I think, an eye-opening conversation, a little insight into what makes Alex Nedeljkovic tick. And I think you'll be uh, sh- maybe not surprised, uh, but pleased at his self-evaluation. And the one thing about Nedeljkovic that always comes through is his confidence. Uh, so that's the second half of the podcast. Uh, the first half of the podcast is going to be a conversation with Mark Seidel, uh, who's with North American Central Scouting. This is not NHL Central Scouting. It's not the official scouting ranking of the NHL, but uh, he is a draft, a prospect expert, former uh, former scout, actually spent time with the Barry Colts. He was there after uh, um, Andrei Svechnikov, but he was there when 
Ryan Suzuki was there. So we'll talk about Ryan Suzuki. The Hurricanes just signed Jack Drury. We'll go through all that. We'll start with Seth Jarvis. Uh, but we'll get to all of those things uh, with Mark Seidel. Uh, and we'll go through some of the top prospects. At least you know, we're not going to get to every single one of them. We'd be here forever. Uh, but we're going to go through some of the really good prospects, and we'll see where Carolina uh, stands in his eyes in terms of what might be available to them this year and what they uh, might have to go out and supplement. Uh, so Alex Adelkovich at the back half of the podcast, Mark Seidel, will be with us in just a couple of minutes. First things, let's just run through a couple of things that I believe are important, and everything's coming up quickly. July 17th, Carolina Hurricanes have to bring uh, submit their protected list for the expansion draft. We'll get to that in one second. Uh, See, so these are some key dates. Uh, the 21st, I believe, is Seattle's expansion draft. 23rd is the draft. Free agency begins the 28th. So there's a lot of things. I mean, as we're recording this, what is it, July 9th? I mean, things are going to happen fast. Very, very fast. Uh, Dougie Hamilton is going to happen fast. Uh, any trades that Carolina makes... Uh, are going to happen quick. These things are going to happen probably in the next three weeks. Uh, they probably should. Uh, so they have they have uh, they have some decisions to make on the current roster, what they want to bring in, how they go about closing the gap between themselves and the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's the gold standard in the sport. Congratulations to them. Uh, I hope for those of you listening, uh, we're all over the. They were over the cap. Uh, remember, in order for them to play over the cap, they had to play without Nikita Kucherov all season long. Uh, did it matter? Obviously not. They're one of the best teams in the NHL without Nikita Kucherov, and they became even better when they got him back. Uh, but look, they they played by the rules, same rules that allowed Carolina to be over the cap in the bubble. Uh, so let's not let's not go uh, go overboard. Uh, I also uh, will say that there is no appetite at all uh, among general managers in the NHL, I believe, based on my conversations, to change the rule. Um, Look, if you're going to be without somebody like that all season long, man, that's punishment. How good would, would Tampa be in a normal year if Nikita Kucherov did not play a game all season long? And real quick, this year, the regular season, I'm not saying it was meaningless, but it was just wonky. We only you only played within your divisions. Not good. I, I I think everything in the regular season was distorted, very distorted. And I said this uh, several times all year long. For my money, the East was the best division, uh, but because they beat each other up, the um, the records weren't as good. Uh, anyway, Hurricanes have $29 million in salary cap space. $29 million to spend. Uh, and say what you want about Tom Dundon. He is not afraid to spend money on players. Uh, so uh, they, look, they have a lot of people they need to sign. Um, and we know some of that $29 million is going to be eaten up by Andrei Svechnikov and by Alex Nedeljkovic and by another goalie. And they're going to have to add another person on defense. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but you don't know who you're going to lose in expansion. You might lose Nino Niederreiter in expansion. You don't know what the status is of Jake Gardner. They're not going to lose him in expansion because Ron Francis is not inclined to help Carolina. Uh, you'd probably have to give Seattle two first-round picks take, uh, Ron Fran- to uh, take Jake Gardner off your hands. Maybe not two first-round picks, but I think at least one. Um, but there is some discussion about whether or not Gardner would have back surgery, and maybe he would be long-term injury cap relief uh, over the course of the season. So we'll see. Who knows? Uh, so at right now, Carolina's got $29 million in cap space. Quickly to Dougie Hamilton, then we'll hit the expansion uh, protection lift list, and then we'll start with Mark Seidel. If Dougie Hamilton is going to get, probably, I would say let's just go a minimum of six years and $45 million. 
I say minimum six years, $45 million. That's $7.5 million a year over six years. That's the minimum he's going to get. Carolina won't do that for Dougie Hamilton. They will not. They just won't. I know you think that you know, we, we all, we've already talked about the cap space. Um, I think it's more likely that they would do uh, something in the three-year range for Hamilton, but I'm not suggesting that he should take that. This is not my, not my point, and I'm not I'm not trying to bash Dougie here. This is not that's not what this about. This is about. I'm just trying to point out what I believe Carolina's view of building their roster is, and to me, Hamilton on a short deal, even at maybe eight million a year, would be acceptable to what they want to do. But I don't believe that Dougie Hamilton is going to leave you know, roughly $20 million on the table just to come back to Carolina. So, for the most part, I think Dougie is gone. Now, we'll see how it works out. We don't know what the market is. That's why Carolina allowed Dougie to go out and test the market. We have heard zero about what the market is for Dougie Hamilton. Uh, We do know that there is interest in Chicago, um, who knows who else might be interested in Dougie Hamilton. We know he's an elite offensive player. The problem with Hamilton is that his eliteness has basically been confined to the regular season. With Carolina, he has not been good in the postseason at all, and therein lies the, the dilemma for Carolina. Um, are they willing to put out that kind of money for somebody who has demonstrated that he has not been as good in the postseason. I say the same thing about Nino Niederreiter. Really hasn't been very good in the postseason. But also, in a kind of a, it was a little bit of a disappointing finish of the season for Vincent Trocek, who showed flashes and he was hurt, as was Nino uh, in the playoffs. But I didn't think it was a great playoff uh, run from Vincent Trocek. But game one against Tampa, he was great. And every time else, he was sort of eh. Same thing for Nar- Martin Natchez, by the way. But specific to Hamilton, uh, it's hard to fork over a lot of money like that for somebody who has not been good. And I would say, uh, you know, with with all respect, has been not using the plus minus statistic, but to me, a minus player in the postseason. Uh, they they needed more out of Dougie Hamilton in the playoffs, and they didn't get it. Uh, we can throw out the bubble if you want, uh, but year one, not good after a very good second half. And this past uh, season, after a really good regular season, uh, maybe not his best, but a good regular season, it was really a no-show in the playoffs. So you have to decide what you need out of that. And if you're not, and here's the thing, if you're not going to bring Dougie back, and that's fine, you have to figure out a way to find a replacement. You can't replace elite offensive skill on the blue line unless you're replacing it with with more elite offensive skill. Uh, and good luck, uh, but it's going to be difficult to replace Dougie Hamilton. Remember, he quarterbacked the top power play unit. Uh, Jake Gardner was part of the equation uh, on unit number two. I don't anticipate uh, him being on in the lineup uh, next year, and Jake Bean might be lost to the expansion draft. Uh, so there's a lot of replacing Carolina's got to do. Uh, so with that said, quick, uh, quick look of the expansion draft. You know you're going to protect... Uh, Aho, Teravainen, Svechnikov, Stahl, no movement clause, Trocek, important second line center. And my guess is Jesper Foss, the contract is too good. You're not going to give him away, uh, let him walk for nothing. Uh, he's got two more years left at $2 million per. You know you're protecting Slavin. You know you're protecting Pesci. After that, it kind of depends on moves you make. I could see them leaving Brady Shea unprotected if... They go out and secure another defenseman. Like if they were to make a trade, and I'm just throwing a name out, so don't go crazy. If they were to make a trade for Matt Dumba between now and the expansion, uh, you know, I guess it's next week, you know, next Saturday. If they were to make a trade for Matt Dumba, you'd protect Dumba and you would expose Shea. And if Ron Francis wanted to take Brady Shea, he could. Um, so just throwing these things out there uh, for you. So. Uh, there's that, and then you have to decide who you're going to protect up front because I do believe Carolina is going to protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and then uh, Nedeljkovic in goal. Uh, you're probably going to leave Nino Niederreiter unprotected. Um, 
you don't necessarily want to lose Nita Ryder, but I think you can find a replacement for Nita Ryder that doesn't make a little bit more than $5 million, although only one more year left on Nita Ryder's contract. Uh, to me, it really comes down to who do you go, who are you going to protect between Steven Lorenz and Morgan Geeky? Uh, and and you, you very well could lose the one you don't protect. I believe Warren Fogel will be traded between now uh, and the 17th, so you don't have to replace him uh, because they don't want to lose him for nothing. And I do believe that they are willing to walk away from uh, from Warren Fogel. Um, but there's only a week between now and the time you have to do that. So all of that has to happen quickly. So that was kind of rapid fire. There will be another podcast that deals with a lot of these things coming next week. But that's next week. This is right now, and it's time to talk about prospects from Jamison Reese to uh, Antony Hanka uh, to Alex Nedeljkovic, and Mark Seidel has been in scouting for basically 20 years, uh, and he knows a lot of these guys, and I think one thing he said to me at the beginning of this, uh, before we started recording, uh, was that he was excited because I I gave him a list of a bunch of players he not only knows very well, but really likes. Uh, so here's Mark Seidel, uh, North American Central Scouting. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mark Seidel. And why not start with the best of Carolina's prospects? All right, let's get to uh, the top prospect from a year ago, Seth Jarvis. Uh, put up ridiculous, goofy numbers uh, as, I guess, a 17-year-old or maybe an 18-year-old. There was no place for him to play until once Portland, the Winterhawks, got back on the ice, he had to leave the Chicago Wolves and go there. Uh, And because of his age, he's still in the same predicament. If he doesn't make the Hurricanes, he has to go back to junior hockey. Uh, So what I'm hoping you'll tell me is that you think he's going to make the Hurricanes, because uh, I don't know what another year of junior hockey is going to do for Seth Jarvis, but what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, there's a lot of kids in that in that uh, situation, and you're exactly right. It, it doesn't seem fair, and, and I think we saw this year with the pandemic and the, you know, the leagues, the, the Canadian Hockey League, different leagues not playing or playing to reduce schedules. We saw a lot of those kids playing the American League as 18-year-olds and show that they can play against men and compete and put up numbers just like Seth Jarvis did, so it's a bit of a unique situation. Um, do I think he can step in next year in Carolina? I, I do. I think he's a really, really good player. I got to be full confession. I think we had him at 23 overall that year. Obviously, Carolina got him at 13. Uh, so uh, they're obviously a lot smarter than we were. And I think if you redid that draft today, I think he'd go a lot higher than 13. Um, you know, as you said, lit up both the Western League, the American League. Uh, incredibly smart. He plays the right way, too. Like offensive guys. Sometimes cheat, you know, sometimes get on the wrong mm-hmm. side of pockets and things like that. That doesn't do that. And that's why he feared himself so much to both his coaches in the West and the American League. So I would expect Carolina will send it back. I know it's almost counterproductive, but we see, you know, look what Tampa's done with the Cup in terms of being very, very patient with their prospects. You know, I'd be surprised if Carolina, who obviously has a very, very good team to begin with, uh, if they rush him up because, as you said, the perfect place would be for him in the American League and he could go in there and have a probably a full year down there and really become a, a pro. He doesn't have that option, unfortunately. So uh, could he play for Carolina? Sure. And I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the summer? You don't know what guys are moving in or out and you know, how the cap situation looks like that. So could there be a spot for him? Uh, maybe. Uh, do I think he can play there? Yes, I do. I, I think he, he showed this year in the American League that he dominated night. So, um, but I think ultimately, if we talk next November, I think he's probably back in the Western Hockey League. Light that league up. We'll start for Canada, the World Juniors, and uh, and then the year after, we think jump into probably straight to the National League at that point. Mark Seidel, uh, who runs something called the North American Central Scouting. This is not NHL Central Scouting. Jamison Reese is an interesting case. Uh, he's got, well, I'll just say it, a reputation for being uh, a little bit, is, is feisty the right word? Am I being kind? But what kind of player is he? Uh, on the edge, let's go with that. Okay. Um, you, keep it, you keep hitting guys that I really love, which is uh, which is good. It makes it a little easier to do this. But, <laughs> I mean, Jamison Reese, again, you look at the playoffs, you look at Anthony Torelli, you look at some of these guys. I mean, Anthony, sorry, Jamison Reese plays on the edge. Sometimes he crosses that line, and he certainly has in his junior career. But you can't you can't put the Tiger into the guy. You, you can try to tame the Tiger a little bit. And uh, this kid's got Tiger all through him. I mean, he is a warrior. Will do anything to win, competitive as they get. Uh, again, 
Is he going to score in the National Hockey League? No, he's not. Um, is he going to be a pain in the ass to play against every single time you play against him? Yeah. And there's going to be about six or seven guys that are going to look up and go, oh, my God, we're playing Carolina tonight. i got to worry about Jameson running me through one of the sideboards or endboards. So um, he'll be a fan favorite. He'll be chanting his name at the, uh, at the arena there not too long down the road. Um, another guy, he's a middle six guy, but uh, the playoffs are where down the road James and Reese is really going to make his value. And then when you watch these playoffs and how hard you have to grind, how heavy mm-hmm. you have to play, and I think James can play that way. So will he cross the line sometimes and take some suspensions? He probably will. I mean, he just plays that hard. And in today's game, as you see, you know, if you hit a guy and he gets hurt, he's a guy who's getting suspended. So uh, will he cross that line? I think he probably will. But you know what? As a coach, you. You shake your head when the camera's on you, but you know you wish your player didn't do it. But when you get back in the room, you're like, you know what? That's okay. We'll uh, we'll deal with it because he is a warrior, and, and he's going to be a really really good player for Carolina. Not a scorer, but a really good character piece. Is he big enough? Because I know uh, he's not necessarily a big guy. So is he big enough to play that way at the NHL level? He's not a big guy for sure. He's very strong, um, despite his weight. Like he's really strong. You watch him battle, even as a 16 to 17 year old kid in this league. Uh, battles along the wall with 20-year-olds. He's very, very deceptively strong, but he hits so hard. He drives through with his hips, so he doesn't have a ton of mass. Now, by the time he's there, when he's 22, 23, I expect he'll put some weight on. I think he will for sure. Um, he's, he's not your prototypical 6'4", power forward that's going to run through guys. But, you know, you, you look at some of the guys, and you look at Gallagher in Montreal, and even, you know, he doesn't have the offense that Connecty has, but the same way Travis Connecty plays hard. Like, that's what James Maurice is going to do, and, and not having the biggest frame in the world, I won't stop him. He'll uh, he'll find a way, and, and like I said, he will make some people pay the price for sure. All right, Dominic Bach is uh, somebody Carolina got from uh, St. Louis in the Justin was I think it was the Justin Falk trade. Yep. Uh, so yep. uh, now he came over last year. He had, uh, basically he's a German kid who had who had played over there. Uh, came over last year and was at times very good. He's certainly a flashy guy. Uh, what do you? Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Well, you know what I spoke earlier about how you know, we had differing opinions during the draft. Like that year in, in Dominic's draft, we had the 14th overall. He ended up going 25, and, and as you said, they got him in the Justin Falk trade. Uh, what would develop? I think would be the way to go. Uh, this year in Chicago, I thought he played good, like you said, at times. I mean, he put up some numbers there, so I think that's encouraging for them. Uh, you know, I think. I think they've got to be a little bit concerned about his development. Um, you know, some guys take longer than other guys, but I know uh, St. Louis was a little concerned with how he was developing. Um, and obviously, that's why they decided to take a part with the player and adjust the ball trade. So, you know, I, I think he's got a chance, um, but he's not a guy that I, I look at four years down the road and I can say, you know, for sure that kid's going to be with the Carolina Hurricanes in the lineup. Jameson Reese, I can say that about. Seth Jarvis, I can say that about. Dominic Block, I can't say that at this point. I mean, he may well do it when he played good in Chicago. He was good, but there were games and, and periods for sure where he disappeared. So, you know, he's got some consistency issues, but uh, he's got a chance. But I, I think he's got to he's got to take the next step in his development. Mark Seidel uh, was a scout for the Barry Colts. Now, you weren't there when Andrei Svechnikov was there because we would have stories, I'm sure, to tell. Uh, but you <laughs> were there when Ryan Suzuki played there. Uh, now, we just saw his brother Nick play really well for Montreal. So now Hurricanes fans are, oh my gosh, we've got Nick Suzuki's little brother. Uh, give me an idea of what Ryan Suzuki is like uh, and what he could possibly be for Carolina. Sure. I mean, first we can jump back to that. Stuff. I wasn't working for Barry, but I can tell you, I watched enough games where he dominated in this league. That what he's doing with the Hurricanes does not shock me at all. I mean, this kid, special player too, when I got to Barry and you know, talk to the coaches and talk to the people. I mean, nobody said a bad word about this kid. Phenomenal human being. And, you know, it really took a liking to the city. The city obviously loved him mm-hmm. and did a great job. So, so good for him for doing what he is. Uh, Ryan Suzuki's a kid that's, uh, he's got all kinds of offensive ability. You know, I think, uh, obviously that's why he was a first rounder for the Canes. Uh, as you said, Nick's little brother. Um, I think the biggest issue with Ryan is he has to increase his intensity, uh, and his physical play. He, he, he can at times be perimeter. Um, exceptionally skilled, pass the puck superbly. Um, and I think as he gets older and he gets stronger, he'll do that. You know, once he matures a little bit physically, I don't I don't think he's afraid. I just think he's so good that he doesn't have to engage physically mm-hmm. at times in, in the entire hockey league. So uh, a really good prospect. I think at the end of the day, he probably fits in and as a second-line guy for them um, you know, as he goes forward. And, and I don't think he's his brother. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure he's not his brother. But you know what? His brother took the same kind of career path. There were times that Nick was considered a little bit soft and you know, didn't didn't engage all the time physically either, and we see what he's become. So, 
So fans are, are going to be excited. Um, and if he doesn't become next Suzuki, he's going to be Ryan Suzuki, and he'll be a very good player for them. Now, everybody's listed as a, <laughs> a center, it seems. Um, can he play second-line center in the NHL if he reaches his potential? No, I think he's a winger. I really do. I think, uh, you know, I've always thought he was a winger going back to his minor hockey days, the first overall pick in the hockey league. And you know, he played center. He's so smart. He could do it. I just think the physical demands of a centerman, you know, at the National League level, when you're playing against 30 year old men, they're 225 pounds. I'm not sure that fits for him. I think he's a winger. Now we'll see if, if Carolina agrees with that. You know, I think, uh, he's going to, with so much offense, he can really generate and create. And, you know, as a winger, he doesn't have to be as concerned defensively as he, as he does if he's playing center. So, I think that's probably where he ultimately lies, but so we'll see what the, what the guys in Carolina decide to do with him. But he can play out of the position, that's for sure. It uh, it also depends on whether or not they eventually move Martin Natchez uh, into the middle, where he was a natural center and he's been playing on the wing and has been playing very well there. An older guy, a guy who had two years of college hockey, uh, and then with the uncertainty went over to play in Sweden, just signed his entry-level deal, Jack Drury. We know the name. Uh, I actually watched his uncle Chris uh, pitch for, uh, you know, Trumbull Connecticut's Little League team back, I don't know how much, 30 years ago or whatever that was. Uh, but yeah, I remember that. Jack Drury as uh, as a future NHL player, uh, your thoughts? You know, you mentioned Jack Drury, and I think the first word that comes to mind, Adam, is probably winner. Um, you know, this kid is a winner. Grew up, as you say, in the hockey family. Ted Drury is his dad who played in the National League for a while, and obviously Uncle Chris with the Rangers now. Really gets the game, huge IQ, uh, understands what to do. Uh, as you said, played against Harvard for two years, uh, went in there and played against men when he was a young, a young man, really, and, and was able to show what he could do. And then when this year became, you know, with the pandemic and all this out, decided to go to Sweden to play against men. And, you know, that shows me there's a kid that doesn't just want to take the easy way out. He wants to get better. He wants to prove he can play against men. Uh, went over there, became a finalist for the rookie of the year, uh, which is a really good league. I mean, people in, in North America maybe don't appreciate how good the Swedish league is, uh, but it's a very good league. And, and Jack certainly went over there and played really, really well. Um, he's a winner. I mean, he's going to be a piece of a team that ultimately, you know, I think Kane's fans hope is going to win a Stanley Cup, but he's the kind of guy you, that is a piece to looking almost like his Tampa Bay last night. There were guys on there that you thought, well, they're not stars, but they're piece pieces. And, and Jack Drury's out. He's not going to be a superstar for the Kings, but he will be a very good piece for them for sure. Uh, again, uh, is uh, is he strong enough? Is uh, is the the physicality of the game? Can he can he match that uh, and be successful? Because it almost sounds like he's as an older guy. Uh, there might even be an opportunity here as as early as maybe the middle of next year. Well, we just saw him at the World Championships. He played for Team USA at the World Championships against, well, arguably, almost all the best players in the world. I mean, obviously, some are still more involved, but uh, in short, he, he can handle physical rigors for sure. Now, Sweden isn't as physical a league as the National League, that's for sure. But again, you're dealing with 30, 32 year old men over there that are big, strong, heavy men, and, and he shows that he can handle that. So, yeah, I, I think he could definitely step in and be in the Kane lineup next year. We'll see you know, what happens with the cap and with movement over the summer, but. He's a guy that I think they signed him thinking he might be able to come in and, and maybe be able to fill in a nice bullet line, um, you know, get his, his feet wet. Uh, but I think this kid's only going to climb up the lineup. It just coaches love guys that have hockey IQ, and this kid's been around the game his whole life. He, he understands how to play the game, what to do, what he needs to do. And um, he's shown that both at Harvard and in Sweden, and I think he'll show it with Kane as well. I don't want to dominate your entire uh, afternoon, but let me run through a couple of guys on defense. Um, no worries. In, including one guy who we saw for a game last year, Joey Keane, came to the Hurricanes in the Julian Gauthier trade with the with the Rangers. Yep. Uh, and yep. Keane, the first time I saw him, uh, to me, he was uh, bigger than I thought. He was kind of almost having a square body. Uh, I don't know if he's as good a skater as he would need to be to play uh, in a significant role, but what are your thoughts on Joey Keane and his potential? I know Joey real well, another Barry kid. There seems to be a connection here from Carolina <laughs> to Barry. But, uh, yeah, uh, he's not the biggest kid in, in the world. Uh, lacks in size. Really loves to get involved in up the ice, create some of the offense. Um, you know, has, has some offensive ability for sure to create. I'm just not sure he has enough to be an NHL player or a regular player. Now, you know, I, I certainly, I like the player a lot. I like the kid a lot. But uh, at the end of the day, there's only really six spots. And, 
you know, he, he, he's not going to fit in as a defensive defense, and that's just not his forte. He's an offensive guy that, that uh, creates and gets up ice and skates for a while. So you can only have a couple of those guys in your team. And well, I hope for his sake he can uh, he can take that next step and jump in and be a regular there. But you, know, you just look at the depth chart. You look at other guys they drafted and stuff. And uh, I would uh, I'd be surprised if Julie ends up being an NHL regular in Carolina. Now it doesn't mean they can't move him somewhere and he ends up somewhere else. But with Carolina's depth. Uh, and some of the prospects they have, I, I, I have a hard time seeing him there, but uh, I certainly wish him well and hope he does. He was a late-round draft pick, but Jesper Selgren is somebody that I think has opened up some eyes within the Hurricanes organization. What have you seen from him? Really skilled kid. Skates really, really well. Um, you know, we just talked with Joey Keane, same kind of defenseman, to be honest with you. Uh, a little bit undersized in the same way. There's not a lot of physicality in his game. He's, he's really a puck possession. Um, you know, makes great passes, outlet passes, uh, can jump into the rush, make plays. And, you know, I just, it's almost like I'm talking with Joey Keene again. Right. But like you say, for a later round pick, I think they're excited by that. Um, it, it, defending has always been his issue, even going back to the draft. That's why he fell to where it is. And, you know, I think it'll get better as he gets older. Again, I'm not sure he defends well enough to play in the National League. I, I just got to be honest. I mean, I love to say all these kids are going to be stars, but I'm not sure he defends well enough. And we could certainly add that to a team. Um, but you're bringing him in as an offensive defenseman and, uh, to create some, some opportunities and, and uh, get the puck up the ice to guys. So he has those skills and he's a great skater, which helps as well. But uh, you know, he's going to have to tidy up the defensive side of his game, get a little bigger and stronger, and, and then see where it all falls in. Is Antoni Honka in a similar position, maybe as Selgren and Keane? Yeah, very much. I think, But I think of those three, I think he's probably third of the three, quite frankly. You know, all three exactly, like you say, the, the same kind of defenseman, same kind of issues, and it's going to be the same way where we have to, have to defend better. Um, and when the puck with the puck and a stick, you're mesmerized. And then when, when the other team has the puck, sometimes you cover your eyes. So, um, <laughs> you know, just all three of those guys, all three of them aren't going to play for the Kings. Can one of them make it for sure? I think there is a spot probably somewhere down the road, depending on what happens, cap implications for one of those guys maybe, but they all have some more for the game, but, uh, but certainly the ability to generate offense and great stuff is, is something that uh, I think is going to be their forte. Two more things, and then we'll uh, we'll let Mark Seidel go. Uh, well, we saw Alex Nedeljkovic develop into uh, what, to me, is at least uh, a, t- a part of a goaltending tandem. He, was, he had a wonderful year, but uh, with our other goaltenders in the system, uh, the kid from Russia, um, uh, Itu Makaniemi. Uh, is there another guy out there, or maybe even uh, Jack LaFontaine, who uh, was a star really at the University of Minnesota this year? Is there a is there another guy out there that might be considered a prospect? Well, I think Jack LaFontaine really. I mean, he struggled in his career with Michigan, and then went to Minnesota this year and was phenomenal. I mean, again, I remember Jack played in Toronto uh, as a minor midget. Uh, with his older brother, and uh, you know when he went to Michigan, kind of stagnated. But I, I mean, really revitalized himself this year to become a, you know, I think a legitimate prospect for sure. I think you, know, you watch the games that he played for Minnesota, and uh, you know, I think he was he was phenomenal for them. So uh, if you'd have asked me a year ago, do I think Jack Lafontaine is a legitimate prospect? Probably not. But you know, kids have the right to get better, and, and certainly he's done that. The Russian kid, we'll see. I mean, I always get worried about Russian goaltenders who aren't going to start because they can go back and play in the KHL make at least as much money, if not more, and be a starter somewhere, probably. Um, there's not a lot of Russians that want to ride the buses in the American League for two years when they could be playing in the KHL making three times the money. So right. Do we get worried about that? It's just my experience over the years. It's, it's not to say that it hasn't happened, and there are some guys that maybe maybe he plays in the KHL for three, four years, like some of these guys have done, and then come over here at that point. But he's not a guy that really excites me, but uh, Jack LaFontaine certainly is, is a guy that has a chance. Uh, you know, Can I say he's going to be a... a a number one or even a backup at this point. No, but based on the year he had, you've got to be excited. Um, Alex Nadelkovich, you know, he keeps on back. I was in Niagara when we had Alex Nadelkovich, so I had a lot of ties to the Carolina Hurricanes. And, uh, uh, this is a kid that's a star. I mean, I don't, when, when they put him on waivers this year, nobody claimed him, honestly. I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, anybody that knew that kid knew how hard he competed. Mm-hmm. And he's not your prototypical goaltender. Uh, doesn't have the size, but I mean, athletic, fights through pucks, just did everything for us in Niagara, took it to the league finals and the OHL. Um, so I'm not surprised he's become as good as he is, but I think that's your franchise goalie. Um, you know, and, and you're going to supplement in there back up at some point that's going to be able to spell him some. But I think Jack Novokovic is going to be a star in, uh, or sorry, Alex Novokovic will be a star in, uh, in Carolina for the next seven or eight years for sure. Yeah, here's what's, uh, what's interesting. I'm glad you uh, brought it up because as part of this podcast, 
Uh, I had a conversation with Ned uh, basically when the season ended, and we're going to present that. Uh, and I, I thought it was one of the most candid, honest conversations I have ever had with an athlete. I was uh, uh, super impressed uh, with the basically the accountability that Ned shows. And I thought we kind of figured this out uh, after game one uh, that he played this year when uh, there were a couple of goals that nobody can fault him on a breakaway or in a penalty shot that he allowed against the Columbus Blue Jackets. But he said right after the game, I got to have at least one of those. Uh, and there are very few players in uh, it because he was thrown into a tough spot. Very few players that would have taken that accountability. Final thing uh, for Mark Seidel. Because um, we went through a bunch of prospects. Uh, so I'm just going to basically, you know, open it up. Is there another guy that we haven't talked about that we should have? Uh, and then overall, somebody you might be able to see uh, step into a role for the Hurricanes even this year. Well, I think, you know, I think certainly fans are going to look at him. Morgan Geeky is a guy, um, you know, I think that, that will be a piece as well. Um, you know, and the roster these days, as you know, we're so fluctuating with cap and, Trying to get this guys in and out, but you know Morgan Geeky. Uh, I know when he started his career and he started off for scoring with Carolina. I think a lot of people were excited that you know this guy could be an offensive guy. Again, Morgan Geeky isn't going to be an offensive guy for the Carolina Hurricanes. He is another piece. And you know, people listening to the podcast might go, "Geez, Mark, how many pieces do they have?" <laughs> well, you look at Tampa Bay last night, and they had a whole bunch of pieces. Right. Not a lot of superstars there. Some guys obviously the top, but on point. But you need those pieces. You need those guys that can play on your third and fourth line, and, and I think Morgan is a guy that's going to do that. He's going to chip in a little bit offensively, but uh, you know, I think as he gets older and, and uh, matures a little bit, I really think he's a mainstay that's going to stay in that lineup. And then, you know, like I say, man, up being a fourth-line guy, but we just saw over the past monthly playoffs that those are our fourth-line guys that are very, very important winning. So he's the one guy I think that jumps to mind. And, you know, Jake Bean's a guy who, you know, again, fans obviously know he, he played some with him next year. I've been disappointed in Jake's development. You know, I don't know if Carolina feels the same mm-hmm. way. I, I thought Jake had a chance to be a really special defenseman, and he still may. I mean, we all know defensemen take a while to develop. Um, you know, and he's still a young man for sure. But I, I just feel like Jake has to take that next step. And it's tough playing, you know, behind a lot of those guys that are ahead of him on that depth chart. So it makes it difficult. But, you know, where they took him, certainly they took him 13. You're expecting to get a guy that, that can come in and be a real difference maker. Up till now, Jake hasn't gotten there. But, uh, you know, you certainly hope he can take that next step. But uh, we'll see if he can. For Jake, it's... Uh, can he improve his skating? Can he improve his strength? Uh, I thought he was getting better away from the puck, and he had his good moments, but uh, it really, if he's not impacting the game offensively, it's been a struggle. Uh, but again, uh, he is still a young guy. He was just drafted a few years ago. Uh, Mark, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, um, and hopefully we can call on you again. Listen, I, I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. I love the podcast, so... Uh... Absolutely. Every evening you let me know, and I uh, hope your teams have, uh, have good success with the draft coming up. And, uh, and as I say, stay in touch, and uh, we'll be happy to come back on anytime. It's the Canes Corner Podcast. I'm Adam Gold. Give us a rating. Give us a review. After the break, a really, I think, interesting, eye-opening conversation with Carolina's goaltender of the future, Alex Nedeljkovic, when the Canes Corner Podcast continues. Quite frankly, Alex Nedeljkovic was one of the best goaltenders in the NHL last year. Statistically speaking, one of the best goaltenders in the NHL. He was not in the candidate in the, among the Vezina Trophy candidates. He only played half the year. But when he played, he was largely outstanding. He played his way into Rookie of the Year contention and he was third in the Calder voting behind Kirill Kaprizov of Minnesota, the winner, and Jason Robertson of Dallas, who was actually my choice. Uh, but Kaprizov won it. Robertson was second. Uh, but Alex Nedeljkovic got four second-place votes. I mean, that was just impressive stuff that Nedeljkovic put forth all year long. And he was called in action when Peter Morazic got hurt. And James Reimer, we realized, couldn't carry the load. Uh, and Ned ended up uh, not only being outstanding, but being the guy in the postseason. And I thought Alex Ndelkovich played very well. Uh, I understand that Peter Morazic played a couple of games uh, in the Tampa series, but I thought Ned played very well overall. Maybe not as well in the postseason as he did in the regular season, and I think Ned 
uh, will uh, basically agree to that. Uh, but it was a great season, and it was cool to uh, figure out, you know, that the Hurricanes aren't in as dire straits in net as a lot of people thought. All right, so we start the conversation, and we talked to Alex. This is a while ago, uh, but it, it hasn't aired. We talked to Alex Ndelkovich about the season, all of that, and we started off by just basically giving him the canvas. All right, tell me what this year was like. I mean, it's been a fun year. Like, I can't, I can't really say it any other way, honestly. I mean, I, you know, I, I say it after every game, after every practice. Like, it, it, that's what it is. It, it's a game. And I'm just trying to have fun and, and enjoy it as best as I can. And it obviously, it wasn't from a, you know, from a working standpoint, from a career standpoint, you know, to start the year as, you know, as a number three, like, you know, nobody, everybody wants to be in the NHL. So, you know, was I, you know, was I there? Yeah, I was there. But, like, yeah, I think everybody, you know, across the league will tell you as a taxi squad member, like, you're you're there. Like, we were there. But, you know, at the same time, you weren't, right? Because you weren't, you didn't get all the, you know, you didn't practice with the group. You, you know, yeah, you went on the road, but you still, you didn't practice. You were watching games. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's still different than actually being on that roster being in that locker room and, and uh, it was exciting you know, I grew up you know as a kid my whole life just dreaming to play in the NHL and this year to, to get an opportunity um, and to be able to play a lot and to, to have some success it was it was awesome I was living out a dream you know and obviously as a, you know as a team it didn't it didn't end the way we wanted it to end but um, you know, we're growing and hopefully guys going to the summer kind of with a little bit of a fire underneath them and, and trying to get better and, and really trying to take that next step uh, next year. Do Taxi Squad players have, like, T-shirts? Do you guys – are you guys a clique, a club? What is that? No, it, <laughs> I, not really. We had, we had such a great group. Um, all 28 guys, however many of us there were this year, like it didn't matter, you know, who came in, who, who got put on the taxi squad, who went down to Chicago, who came up, who went on, like who was in the lineup, like everybody was great to everybody, you know, like it wasn't, it was, there, there weren't no, any clicks, there wasn't, right. you know, like guys separating themselves because they were, they were in the lineup and. You know, I wasn't, or somebody else wasn't. It was it was an awesome environment, awesome culture to be in, and and um, you can't ask for any more than that. What impact did it have on you, if any, that the team put you on waivers at the beginning of the season? I mean, you know, you, you, there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. You know, you can be pissed. Frustrated, be excited about it, right? It's a new, like I never been through waivers, so it was kind of a mixed emotions. Um, you know, there's always like that opportunity there that somebody could take take a chance on you. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, like you're getting like just being able to potentially get an opportunity, right? That's another way for you to get an opportunity to show that you can play in the league. And um, obviously, not being picked was it is what it is. But I was kind of kind of happy that it worked out that way I knew I knew my my role on this team coming into the year I knew what it was going to be more likely than not at me and that number three to start um and you know injuries were going to happen guys like things were going to happen right COVID was going to happen we went out a few weeks like for a week and a half or two weeks there guys got sick it's just it is what it is you know like some in the back of your head you always thought something happen and if something happened you had to make the most of it didn't matter if it was five games just one game or if it was 20 games you know I had to be ready to go and then that was the same thing for everybody right like mm-hmm. it didn't matter if it was me if it was Beaner, Keith, Lori like those guys they, they came in and Lori was given an opportunity this year and he didn't you know he didn't take it for granted he worked and he made the most of it and obviously I think it showed he didn't come out of the lineup after that and I think same thing with Beaner well like we all took a individually. We all took a, a big step forward um, in our careers this year. 
how does that prove it mode? Because you, you, it occurs to me that um, you, you, you kind of maybe chip on your shoulder isn't necessarily the right way to look at it, but you seemed like you were in prove it mode all season long. How do you use that to your advantage? kind of goes back to like how I want to play and how I, I go about you know doing doing this and it's just like I, like I said earlier it's just a game so you know and I'm, and I'm a competitor so I want I want to win like I, even board games like where I play at home with my fiance and her friends like I want to win you know I we play Catan and and you know if I get if I end the game with two points and I just get smoked it's like there goes my night you know I can for, for five minutes there, my, my fiance is rubbing it in my face. So it's like, it, it goes from anything. I just want to be a competitor and I want to win. And obviously there's nothing like the only way you can really, you know, you can have good numbers and this and that. And like, but I want, like, I want to win. I want to win a Stanley cup. Um, and that's what, kind of how I, what's always driven me is like to be the best. And there's always somebody else out there. Like, like I said, there's only, there's only going to be next year now with Seattle coming in. There's 64 spots for a goalie in this league. So out of millions of kids across the world and millions of guys playing hockey and however many hundreds of thousands of goalies there are, only 64 of us can, only 64 can, can play in the National Hockey League at, at one time. So there's a lot, there's a lot at stake, you know, like it, does, it doesn't take much to, to lose your spot in this league. You know, it, you, have to, you have to be your best every night. You have to do it every night. There's no exceptions. Like, there's no, you know, nobody's going to cut you some slack or, or whatever, or give you an excuse because we're professionals. We're expected to, to do this every single night. And like I said, it's a game, but it's our job still. So, you know, nobody's going to... You know, in, in a normal job, nobody's ever going to really give you the, the benefit of the doubt and say, oh, "I just had a bad day, maybe, or whatnot." Like it's, it's you have to you have to come in and work. You can't take it for granted. Alex Nedeljkovic is here with us. Uh, Rod Brindamore obviously showed a lot of faith in you, uh, giving you what the first eight postseason starts. I shouldn't say giving; you earned those. Um, when when did you feel like this season that you had uh, grown, uh, you know that this that this was a not doable thing, but that you just felt like you belonged exactly where you were? Uh, honestly, it was like as the year went on, every game I got more and more comfortable. Those first few games, it was I don't want to call it a struggle. But they were it was like little inconsistent, you know. I like, I didn't think I played bad by any means in those games. Um, that's meaning the first three games I, I thought of the year. But I thought there were times where maybe the first period I kind of like I you know there was an area where all right I was a little off, but then like the next period you know I dialed it in or and like and then it got better or it was like I started I came out of the gate hot, you know like first period was good good in the second and then the third period it seemed especially the third period I think it kind of like you know wavered a little bit like it just almost like I kind of tailed off like I it seemed like you were running out of gas a little bit those first three games and I think it kind of like that after that third game it was like all right you got like it's you got it's got to be a full 60 minutes you know like the margin of error is so small in this league especially when you get into the playoffs. Like, it's got to be a full 60-minute thing. And I think, you know, I, and just knowing myself and how I how I can play, like, and how I was doing those first few games, I felt confident in myself that I could I could play in this league without a doubt that I could dominate this league. And, and it just having that confidence, obviously, it was able to, to kind of grow and, and get even better as the year went on. I remember, I, I think it was the first game that you played this year. I think it was in Columbus, and we also know that you went uh, to Columbus. You played back-to-back games. I know your parents were there, and that was uh, awfully exciting. But I want to go back to the first game where Columbus wins. I think it was in overtime, uh, and you basically threw yourself on the sword uh, with two, essentially two breakaways, and you said, I got to have at least one of those. Um, so I'm curious about your standard 
for you. And uh, let's let's deal with that first, and then I have a follow up to it. But what is your standard for you? For me, it's you know to give to give this team like you play it simple. It's to give the guys like the best chance to win every night. I mean, you know, as a goalie, that's what you got to do every night. You can't worry about like how many goals we score, whatnot. Like it's not your job's not to score. Your job's to keep the puck out of the net. So for me, at this point, it's like a lot of things is talked about. You know, it's it's the saves that he makes. Like you know, it's not. You make the ones you should, and then if you're a great boy, you know you make the ones that maybe you shouldn't more often, like more often than the average bully. But it, to get it, to look at it another way, it's the, the best goalies in the league. They're not giving up those those head scratchers, those those gaffes, those blunders, the the goals from the corner, the goals from behind the net. Like they're not giving those goals up. And and there's going to be some weird bounces, like. Things happen, you know. Like you're not gonna, you're not gonna be perfect every night and every game, and you're gonna give up a bad goal every so often. But that, that's just it. Is it can't be every so often as a good goalie. It's got to be like a, like a one and done thing, you know. Like it can't, it can't be something that that kind of is a characteristic of who you are as a goalie. So that's like that first game in Columbus, you know. I. They had two break, a penalty shot, and then a breakaway late in the game, late in the third period, which is so technically that, that right. not technically, but at that point, it's pretty much over. It's like next goal wins, you know, because you're you, they, you score and you're just going to lock it down from there. Um, you, you know, you got like got, just got to find a way one, one of them. You know, the penalty shot. You know, there's really it's just you and the guy, and we do it a hundred times in practices throughout the week. Like, got to find a way to, to read it better or something or. Even so, and like in that third goal, it's, it's live during the play. Like he's got, like he's probably not thinking about doing more than one thing. You know, he's probably got it in his mind once he gets by the defender. Like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this. So it's just being patient and reacting, and not not over like not selling out to one thing. So it's it's just something that, like I said, the the, the elite level guys they find a way to make those hits. All right, my follow up. I'm glad I saved it. Um, how do you view how you played in the postseason? Uh, I thought I thought I was all right. Um, again, like like I said, the margin for error is so small, and you know if you look at the Nashville series, those two games we lose in Nashville. Well, I think we scored three goals and four goals in in those two games. You know, good teams got good teams find a way to win when they score when they score four goals like that. When they score four goals, like mm-hmm. if, if we score four goals, we have like we have to win that game. And that so I like that that's not you know it's not acceptable from from my standpoint to, to lose the game when we score four goals. You just kind of waste you wasted a night. Of, of offensive production because it's so hard to score nowadays, especially in the playoffs. You, you score four goals, you should win a hockey game. Um, and the same thing in in in, in the other game. That's you just gotta find the, the good goalies. They find a way to make a save. You know, the pucks get deflected, pucks get tipped in, and there's backdoor plays. Like you got you, you got to find a way to read it better, make yourself bigger or something. And, and it's easy to look at it now in, in, in hindsight, 2020 and whatnot. Like, is it is what it is, right? You can always critique it now. Say, I could have done this. I should have done that. It's hard to do in the moment. Like, you don't you see things differently in the moment, right? You don't see the, this. You don't have this bird's eye view when you're actually doing it. So it's nice now. You look at it. And say, I could have maybe done this and this. And now you you take what you learned and you apply it into this summer training now and you say all right this scenario popped up this is what happened like I'd, ra- I'd rather do this instead and you work on it um going to the tampa series like i didn't think i played bad but i thought i played better maybe in the tampa series than i did in nashville i just again it comes back to the kind of goals you give up and and there were two goals there that in games one and two that you know they they kind of turned the tide and they 
gave them all the momentum, especially one was game one, obviously, less than 10 minutes left in the period, in the third period. It was, you know, a pretty bad, I'm going to call it what it is. It was a bad goal. It was a pretty bad goal. Um, and then in game two, you know, they get the first one again and probably not the greatest of goals either. Well, you know, I, there was some traffic there, but pucks on the ice and it shot from the blue line, like, puck, you know, pucks, that puck can't go in. Um, and that's the difference. He looked across the ice, the guy that was playing at the other end, like, probably the best goalie in the world. Those goals aren't going in on him. You know, he's not giving away freebies to the other team. And that, that was the difference in those two games. And probably, you know, like, probably this series would have gone different. We win, we take, even if we take one of those games, we're still playing right now. And, you know, who knows what it is. You know, we might be up 3-2 or whatnot. You, like I said, hindsight's 20-20. But, you know, you can play well and you can play great for 58, 59 minutes and 10 seconds or whatever it is, you know. But if you're not playing 60 minutes of, of good hockey, then, you know, it's, it's frustrating and it sucks. I can't decide... If you make my job easier or harder, I think it's both. Um, I loved I loved everything that you just said, especially since Rod always talks about accountability, and you don't have to be accountable necessarily to anybody else. You need to be accountable to yourself, and it's obvious that Alex Ndelkovich has that. So I'll just close on this. What is this offseason? I know you're a restricted free agent. Uh, the Hurricanes obviously want you back. I think Rod has made that pretty clear. Uh, so what is this offseason going to be for you? It's just another opportunity for me to get better and, and you know, improve. Like I said, I was given an opportunity this year to play. You know, I, I think I made the most of it. And But now, you know, it's that was whatever it was, 30-some games, right? That's 30 games in the normal, like, in a normal season, right? That's not a lot of games, you know, and I, and I want to be a number one. I want to play in this league. I want to be a starter, and I want to be the best goalie in the league. And and, and to do that, you know, you got to play a lot of games, and you got to prove it over an extended period of time. So I, this year was the first step in doing so. You know, I thought I, I played well from a personal, uh, from a personal standpoint. Now it's going to the summer. You know, my agent, I, I've worked with my agent for a long time. And I, I trust him, and, and I think we know what, I think he knows what I want, and, and I have full faith that we're going to be able to get something done. Um, and I love playing in Carolina. You know, this was awesome. This was great. Those few home games we had in the playoffs, where we had a full bar, and it was, you always hear, like, what how loud the building is, and, and to be able to play, playing a game with, with those fans, with the Kaniacs, like, that, that was awesome. So, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful and I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that, that something can get done and uh, we can start something special here in Carolina. Well, thank you very much for your time. We'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. Hopefully we'll have, like, a, uh, a ceremonial conversation after you sign your deal. Uh, good luck this offseason. It was fun to watch you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. No problem. I told you, Ned is an honest, fun, and I think it's going to be great fun to watch him develop as a goaltender. Did you hear him say he thinks he can dominate the league? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it would be great, right? Uh, but if Alex Nedeljkovich was, essentially, if the, if the floor was better than league average goaltending, I think we'd all take it. Because the Hurricanes... Probably what they need is better than league average. For a long time, they weren't there, maybe even below league average. Lately, last few years, they've been better than league average. And Ned, last year, was way better than league average. Uh, All right, so that's the Canes Corner Podcast. I am Adam Gold. We're brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. If it's for the exterior of your home, you can find it at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina on Hamlin Road in Durham. Roofing, siding, entry doors, Storm doors, gutter helmets, windows, all of it. Bay windows, bow windows. They've got it all. Aluminumcompany.com. We'll come back to you next week. We'll do expansion draft protection stuff. uh, What we think Carolina needs to do because it all happens fast. I appreciate your time. 
Thanks to Alex Adelkovich. Thanks to Mark Seidel. And we'll talk to you next time on the Canes Corner Podcast. You've been listening to the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sports Fan app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the Canes Corner Podcast.